So we are in part two of our series in Colossians this week. Um, and so uh, for those of you who weren't here for the first part, maybe you're checking out uh, church for the first time, uh, Colossians written by a man called Paul, Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the church in Colossae, which is sort of Asia Minor where Turkey is today. And uh, he is in prison locked up for the gospel, and so he's been writing, and please do check out on YouTube, you can, you can see that if you want to find out more, but I sort of wanted to title today, the next little section, A Beautiful Discomfort, because what Paul speaks into in these next few passages and, uh, and these next few verses, he sort of brings across this concept that we have this amazing life we can have in Christ, this journey we can have in Christ, this refreshing, this freedom, but we also live in a difficult situation, in a broken world. And so he addresses these two things. So that, that's what I wanted to dive into today. So we pick up the story in Colossians 1 verse 9. And this is what it says. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to it. Um, uh, if not, it's going to be there. By the way, talking about books and things, we've managed to land a bunch of amazing devotionals, uh, children's uh, devotionals you can do, which we do at dinner time, at breakfast. Um, there's some different Bibles there, which we, we can just get in and pass on a cost. But if any of you are looking, please do check those out afterwards. We've gotten a brilliant student teen Bible, the CSB student Bible, if you've got teenagers or people in their 20s, a great one to look at. So this is what it says. And so, from the day we heard, uh, he, he'd been talking before an introduction that they were praying for the Colossian church. And so from the day we've heard about you as this church, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We're actually going to camp on this verse for probably about 15, 20 minutes. So if you suddenly go, it's almost uh, nine and we should be finishing, don't worry. The next few verses won't take us an hour. Um, but I mean, if they do, you know, you can all just sit there in patience. Um, so Paul and his friend Timothy are men of prayer. From the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. They have this constant conversation and connection with God. Prayer we can often think is we have to say certain things, read certain things out of a book. Prayer is just talking to God. It's having a conversation. It's listening for his voice. And this is how they lived. It's not a me-focused prayer. It's an outward-focused one. You'll see over there where it says, we've not ceased to pray for you. Yes, God wants us to tell him everything about our day and what's happening, the difficult things and the difficult situations. But you notice they're in prison. They have every reason to be crying out and saying, Lord Jesus, get me out of this place. But what are they doing? They're saying, no, we care about a church that we actually haven't visited yet. We've heard that it's happened. We've been visited by friends who lead the church. But we care about these guys. We're praying for them. So it's a really great picture that so often we can live in an insular, me-focused life. And so all our prayers and everything revolve around us. But it's actually when we fix our eyes on other people we start to think about other people in the world and what they're going through, that actually everything changes. Everything changes. We get this joy and this passion for God that we didn't think was possible. And these guys are a great example in it. So they're praying. They're writing a letter and they're praying. It's not about them, but it's about others. And so maybe for some of you, talking to God is something you don't usually do. Maybe it's your first time here and you're like, well, I've never spoken to God before. Um, and, and you can. And he speaks back to us in different ways. He speaks to us through our, through our heart and spirit. We get a sense of things through his word. We suddenly be praying and his word comes alive to us. It might be through a friend or a situation, but he talks, he speaks to us. He's a living God. And so maybe you've never done it before. I, I wanna challenge you to try. Talk, but then listen. God, speak to me. What are you saying? What are you saying? And, and, and open up the Bible. We've got other resources to help you, devotionals to help you in that. 
But we never want our faith to be about us, to be insular, to be selfish. He's close. Share your life with him. Invite him into your day. Invite him into the mess of your life, the things where you've messed up, the things that you are struggling with. Uh, but prayer changes things. We shared this last week. It changes things. Uh, someone shared, I, I, I forget the quote, but last week was, we were saying, they said that, I'm not sure what happens, but it feels like the more that I pray, the more coincidences happen. We know they're not coincidences, they're God incidences. But the more that we walk with God, the more we see him working. And so if you're struggling in the area of prayer, practice. If you've never done it before, start. But be people of prayer. Be people of talking to God. And what were they desperate about? We haven't ceased praying. What are they asking? This is really interesting. There could be many things that they're asking that you know more of God's love for you, that you are able to deal with annoying people in the congregation. There's no annoying people here, by the way. Um, we never get annoyed. No one gets annoyed with each other. It is the perfect church. <laughs> if you think that, please leave uh, because you'll mess it up. Um, we, we're all just people who have issues, but we're on a journey getting to know God. But they could be praying for that. They could be praying that um, they would get out of prison they could be praying that uh, the church would advance God's kingdom. It's really interesting. The first thing on the back, what are we praying? We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge, with the understanding of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so it's, it's interesting. We need to pick up these sort of nuances, these things in scripture. What's on the front end? What's most important? What does Paul care about? And he actually talks about this through most of the letters that he writes. In Romans, he talks about God's will. He talks about it in Ephesians. We'll look at that. But what's he getting at? Why is it so important that the church and us know God's will? And then he says that to know his will, we need two things. We need spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. So we need spiritual wisdom and understanding if we're going to understand God's will. So knowing who God is and what he's doing in the world is not an academic exercise. It's actually a spiritual exercise. It's asking God to show us what he's doing in the world. If we, if we try and understand from our standpoint, from an earthly standpoint, from all of my knowledge and what I know, we're going to fall short because the way we understand it is we ask him for his wisdom, supernatural wisdom, and then we get to see what he's doing in the world. Because in fact, most of what God's doing in the world doesn't make logical sense to people who don't know Jesus. It doesn't. It doesn't make logical sense. A lot of what he does, a lot of what his kingdom's about. An example would be us here deciding to meet and arrange services and, and do it so that we can be together as a people when we have spring fair on so we can do parking and stuff. Now, for many people, they'll sort of sit and maybe they'll say that to you. Maybe they'll say it to me, but why, why the effort? Why would you try and do this? I mean, why not just cancel the service? Um, why bother to be together? Why do that? Well, it's because it's something that God's doing in the world that we want to be a part of. So we need to understand with his eyes. That's why we need to see life through the framework of Scripture, not from our personal standpoint, because our personal standpoint can be corrupted really easily. You know, the way that we see the world uh, is altered and, and depends on our upbringing, depends on the situations that we've been through, hurts, difficulties, trials. It depends on our own learning and how we see scripture. So we can be affected by this. We need to be aware of that. We can be influenced by many different things. So we need to plainly and openly look at scripture with God's spiritual wisdom. And then as a result, we know his will. We know what he's doing in the world. We know what he's doing in situations in our lives. So it's a great challenge. So if you're a Christ follower here today, a quick way to see if you're operating according to natural earthly wisdom and understanding or versus God's. This is a quick way. It's an easy way for you and I to see it in different situations. Well, 
If there's books in the Bible or passages in the Bible that you don't like or make you feel really uncomfortable and you sit and go, that, that doesn't apply to me or, or that's, I just don't like reading that because that really just makes me feel uncomfortable and I don't wanna apply that to my life. If there's anything like that, that means that you're acting and living with natural wisdom rather than spiritual wisdom because all of scriptures God breathed, right? It's all useful. We have to apply it in the right situations. We have to make it um, applicable to modern day and how that works, but every bit of scripture applies to us. So we have to make sure that if there's something that we don't like, and there's many that I don't like, <laughs> I'll be the first to admit it. I read those and I'm like, mm, uh, Lord, I, I just think I'd rather miss out on that book or I'd rather miss out on that verse. It just doesn't sound right. No, those are specifically what we need to dive into to go, why does it make me feel uncomfortable? Why does, does that not sit with me? And it will be a case of us seeing the world with our eyes rather than God's. We need spiritual wisdom. And so he's asking here and he's saying, I need you guys to know the knowledge of God's will. And we looked at that uh, a little bit briefly, but God's will is what he is doing in the world. It's his heart, it's his character and how that outworks now and for all eternity. It's about him who he is and the purpose he has for us individually and the world. And so I shared briefly, and we're gonna dive into this for a short bit. Last week, there's actually two types of God's will. So important we get this. In fact, this needs to be the framework that we see the world from. There's his sovereign will, and that never changes. And then there's what we call his prescriptive will, and that changes. That's dependent on what you and I do. And these two merge together, and we see this through Scripture. So I'll look briefly at this, and we've got some passages to dive into. What about his sovereign will? Paul's saying we need to understand his will. What is his, his sovereign will? Now, God's sovereign will happens no matter what you and I do. It's what we were singing about, and what a beautiful name about him coming to earth, about him uh, doing the work in the world that he's doing, that will never ever change. No one can change that. You and I, whether we believe in Jesus here today or not, cannot stop what God is doing. That's part of his sovereign will. No person or circumstance can change that. No one could have prevented Jesus from dying on the cross for our sins of the world. That was God's will. No one was gonna change that. It was gonna happen, and he says it was gonna happen before the foundation of the world. And in fact, he talks about this, Acts 4, 27 to 28. Amazing. So this is, uh, again, New Testament. This is Luke, the doctor, writing. This is what he says about the events of Jesus dying. Get this. For truly in the city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. Herod, when he heard about this new savior being born, he ordered that all of the newborn boys and the boys under a certain age were executed. He did this to try and stop what Jesus, what God was doing in the world. So Herod was part of this. And then later on as well, Pontius Pilate in the process. So along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever, look at this. So in the city, there were people gathered against Jesus, right? They were actively against Jesus. They wanted to see Jesus killed. The Pharisees wanted to see him crucified instead of Barabbas. They were actively going against Jesus. But whilst they were doing that, to do whatever your hand, God, and your plan had predestined, it means you had planned to take place. Do you see what's happening here? You have God who has a plan for the world, and he's acting on it, and it's going to happen. Jesus was going to die for your sins and mine. At the same time, we have other people who also think that they're acting out their will and they're acting. And they're saying, we wanna get Jesus killed. We wanna kill all the babies so he doesn't exist. We wanna do this, we wanna do this. But God was working in and through their decisions anyway. And his plan came about. So interesting. So Jesus came to earth and in one sense, there were evil people planning to kill him. They were focused on seeing him killed. 
and crucified. But all along, God actually planned the process anyway. He was part of the process anyway. Look at some other scriptures about how God's purpose overarchs your choice and mine. Because it does. His ultimate purpose overarchs our choices, our good and our bad choices. And uh, this is a great place to live from. Ephesians 1 verse 11. Again, Paul writing. Paul writes this. You'll see him do this over and over again. Particularly at the beginning of the letters he writes because he wants us to understand. He says here, in him, God, we've obtained an inheritance. This is for those who are Christ followers for all eternity. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him. And look at this who works all things, not some things or maybe things or when it suits us or when it doesn't or when things go well, all things according to the counsel, the decision of his will. They're those challenging verses that make you sit almost humbly and go, okay, God, you're in control of the world and not me. But it actually should be a helpful way for us to live. James 4, verse 14 and 15. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow, I will go into such and such a town and spend a year there or go on holiday to the beach next year. I'm really excited, so I hope that that comes off. But anyway, uh, you know, uh, and uh, spend a year there and trade and make a profit or next year I'm gonna do this in my business or, or this is gonna happen next year. We, we make all these plans. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, and this is James the writer who was executed for his faith. Uh, he led one of the churches. Um, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and do that. What's he getting across? Do we live and make decisions? Yes, of course we do. Do we plan holidays and businesses and families? Of course we do. But what's the point? Those decisions come under what God's doing in the world. That should give us peace, should give us encouragement. Uh, I've got a few more. They're so good. Uh, Acts 21, 13 to 14. This was when Paul, who is writing this letter, was about to die. And uh, he knew that God wanted him to go to Jerusalem, but he also knew that in all likelihood that was gonna be his death. So he's now talking to his church leaders before he goes. And look at what happens here. Paul answers them because they're just crying. They're just like, but Paul, you know you're going to die. And he's like, yeah, guys, you know, this is going to happen, but I just know this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what he was living. So they're all weeping. Look at him. What are you guys doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. <laughs> you can imagine. They're like, but Paul, you're just telling us that you're about to die. Like we, we're your friends. So this is not a nice thing. But guys, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased. This is his leaders talking. And we said, well then, let the will of the Lord be done. I.e. Paul, even you and your plans, it's in God's hands. And we respect that and we honor that. But if God's gonna do this, it's going to happen. And then finally, um, oh, two more actually. I told you this one verse is gonna take us a bit of time, just so you know. I love this. Matthew 10, 29 to 30. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father without God knowing? By the way, interesting thought. When have you guys ever seen a baby crow? I mean, I never seen this. I see crows and I just want to shoot them all the time. And I keep going, but where do they nest? Uh, and I see other babies and babies nest, but never a crow's nest. So if anyone knows, please show me. We can eradicate them from... Um, I'm sure they have a role to play. They're very clever. Anyway, even the hairs of your head are numbered. That shows that God is sovereign over the big things, but he knows you and I and what we're going through intimately. He knows the hairs on your head. It's a lot easier for him to count mine than others, um, but he knows. He knows when birds die and when they're born. He knows. 
That's the kind of intricacy that he has in your life and mine. It's beautiful. And then Proverbs 16, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap. The lot was a thing where guys would draw lots, right? That have different le- levels of sticks. Maybe you get held in a hand. They would draw them out and whoever, it's where we got the phrase, whoever pulled the short straw. That's where we got the phrase from. So look what it says here. The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision's from the Lord. It's an Old Testament scripture where he's saying, yeah, we make decisions, we make plans, and maybe you pulled something out the lot, but actually God's the one who overarchs this. So as we live on earth as Christ follows, and maybe not here today, and this is what's interesting to know, scripture's clear, and I believe we can t- take great comfort in the fact that our decisions, our mistakes and our mess, the things that we've done wrong in the past, maybe some of you are sitting here today and you're feeling, because of an error you've made, a bad decision. You're sitting there and going, God can't forgive me, He can't work out his plans in my life because of that mess, because of that thing that happened in my life. He can't bring joy. He can't restore. The way that he can is if he's truly in control of our lives. Then he can. In spite of our good and bad decisions, he can bring about great purposes. So they won't ruin God's ultimate plans. When life's throwing you a curveball, when nothing is making sense in your life, you can know that nothing can separate you from his love. Romans 8. He's there and he's with you and he's working. Nothing can separate you from that. You can live at peace knowing that nothing takes God by surprise and that every situation you'll face and that you have faced, he will turn for ultimate good. He will. The worst of situations, he will. It's humbling and it's a confident way to live. So that's the one side. That's the one element. But there's also another type of will. So that's his sovereign will. Important for us to know. We see the world through that. But then there's a different type, and this is called his prescriptive will. This is what God asks you and I to do. This is the way he asks us to live. And so this can change, and this does depend on you and I, and the two work together. He's given us choice whether we choose to follow him or not. And we see this through scripture as well. We see lots of this, that we have a role to play, and we'll be held accountable for our actions. The two work hand in hand. They're called antimonies. They look like how can they? How can God be in control and at the same time we have choice? And scripture teaches both. And so it can work and it does work together. You'll see it. Matthew 6, verse 9 to 10. Pray like this. This is Jesus talking. I shared this with uh, some of the men here uh, are here today from uh, the fathers and sons that we did on uh, Friday night here at the school. It was a great time. Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, honored be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So Jesus was here, God's son, and he says, That's how you need to pray and talk to God, that God, whatever you want to do in the world, you come and do here, and I want to live it out. We have a role to play in that kingdom coming to earth. One thing you and I, let's just say this as a side, we need to realize is that our will might not always look like his will. So we need to just make sure that when we're praying, Lord Jesus, may your kingdom come, because I know in your kingdom, there's an abundance of vehicles. And so I know that here I need the brand new Land Cruiser, which does look amazing, the black rimmed one, by the way. So I know in your kingdom, which is perfect, there's gonna be that here. And so I know that's your will because you have good gifts for your children. And that's a necessity for me. It's not a want, it's a necessity to live my life like that. Um, We need to make sure that what we're asking is actually in line with what God's doing. Ask him, he'll show you. Um, so we need to be aware of those things. You see, God lives in a different time to us. He sees the whole picture. We live linear, right? So we think we're seeing what's happening now in a time space like this. God sees the beginning and he sees the end and he sees all of it at the same time. 
So he knows. He knows what every decision and every action will do ultimately for your good and mine for all eternity. We can never comprehend that, but he can. So we can trust him in that process in his kingdom. He overarchs all human history in a way that we cannot, and therefore we're not able to see what each action, event, and choice is doing in God's plan. Romans 12 verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. So we can get to know it, but we have to open up our minds to him. We have to open up ourselves to him, say, God, you tell me what your will is. Show me in the situation what your will is, because we'll see it differently at different situations. Matthew 7 verse 21, an example of prescriptive will. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's a case of prescriptive. We have a role to play. We have a decision to say, I'm going to follow Jesus today. Maybe for some of you don't know God, maybe today you're going to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's a choice we have, and God gives us that choice. And so no one can stand before him one day and say, but God, I, of course you should take me into heaven. You're a loving God. He'll say, but, but did I know you? Had you given your life to me? Prescriptive will, a decision that we can make on our own. Matthew 26, verse 39, one of the most powerful showings of this. Going a little further, this is just as about as Jesus, the son, fully God, fully the son is about to die. Look at what he says. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and look at what he prays. He prays, my father, if it be possible, let this cup, let this death that's been planned from the beginning of the world pass from me. Nevertheless, so I don't want this to happen in my own strength and in who I am as Jesus and in knowing what's to take place and what this could cost me. I do not want this to happen. Please take it away from me, but not as I will, but as you will. So even Jesus modeled to us what it means to say, God, I think that my will is in line with yours. I think what I wanna happen is in line with yours, but actually ultimately may what you are deciding happen and not what I am deciding. Jesus' life was so intertwined with the Father's will that he was prepared to lay aside what he thought to embrace the eternal mission of God. And so we see that we have choice. We're able to follow Jesus, to pray for his kingdom to come, to live for him, and to be transformed by his help. But his sovereign will will always trump our personal decisions. The Lord's sovereign will will always take place because if it didn't, he wouldn't be God. We wouldn't be God. He would be a being that could be altered and changed based on our decisions, but he wouldn't be God. Just think about that. If we could alter what he's doing in the world, if we can somehow weave it in what he's doing in the world, he would cease to be the God that we serve. He would cease to be, he'd be a being, but we could manipulate him by what we do and what we don't do, but we can't do that. Otherwise he ceases to be God. So regardless of our choices, his plan and purpose isn't swayed. He can never say to us, I didn't see that coming. He can never say that situation caught me by surprise. He can't. All of human history, all of eternity, he knows. He doesn't work in our lives in spite of our choices. He works in our lives through our choices. He doesn't work in spite, he works through. That's an amazing and confident place for us to live. You and I can choose to obey him or disobey him, but still he's in control. We see that in scripture. 
we see both. We see absolute sovereignty and absolute choice. We see a God who's all-powerful and a God who's all-loving, and they work together, and where we can rest in that, it's profound. It's a beautiful place for you and I to live. He sees the whole picture, and we don't, but one day we will. The Apostle Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 13, he's, uh, he's talking about how now we see in part, but one day we'll see face to face. You and I won't know everything. We're going to have questions. We're going to have things we don't understand in this world, and that's okay. But one day we're going to see face to face. One day we'll see all things. And so we continue. Only another hour and a bit left. It was your first visit. Um, did guys tell you that sometimes we go over by an hour and a half? Did guys tell you? Don't worry, we've got five minutes. We continue. Verse 10, I told you the next are shorter ones. I wanted to camp there. Uh, uh, Colossians 1 verse 10. So why do we need to know his will? Why? Why is it so important? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Why, why do we need to know his will to understand those things? Well, it's because when we see through the framework of what he's doing, we live out according to that. We don't live on our own strength. We live out according to that. We begin to walk in a manner pleasing to God because we know what he's saying and how we should live. We see him for who he is. We start to want to flee from sin. We look at things in our lives and we go, God, you're doing stuff in the world. You've died for me. I want to please you. And so this hurts you and this upsets you. Please help me. I can't do it on my own strength. But we start to flee from sin. We desire to honor him with every aspect of our lives, to put him first, to make him priority in our families, raising our kids, in our businesses, in the way we see the world. We say, Lord Jesus, we want you to be priority. The result is, is that you produce a life bearing fruit in every good work, when we, when Bible talks about bearing fruit, it talks about spiritual impact. There's lots of things we can do in the world that have no impact beyond the grave. They have no spiritual impact in people's lives. One day when we die, they're burnt up, wasted hours, wasted days. But everything that we do with an awareness of God, from the smallest things, cooking dinner. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, I cook dinner like six times a week for my wife and family. Um, if you want any tips, <laughs> I can only say that because Sierra's not here. Um, she does all the cooking. But we can do the most basic things if we have an awareness of God in them and we want to follow him in them. They become impactful now and for all eternity. Nothing's mundane in God's kingdom. Then as a result, we know more of God's will and the cycle continues to live in a manner honoring Jesus. You see, we can fall into the trap, and then I'll close with this. We can fall into the trap of seeing God as our savior, the one who saved us, but not as the Lord of our life. But he's both Lord of our lives and savior. What do I mean by that? Well, the savior, that aspect of God is the one who loves us, the one who died for us, the one who's close to us, the one who forgives us of our sins, the one who gives us freedom, amazing. That's the savior. Lord is seeing him as ruler and king of our lives the one who we want to follow, the one who is a judge, the one who is righteous, the one who we want to honor. And those two come hand in hand. We've got to be careful that we don't see him as only one side of the coin. Which perspective do you usually find yourself in? If you only see him as savior, the one who loves you, the one who forgives you, the one who's amazing, do you know what? You're probably not going to care that much about sin in your life because you're like, he's going to forgive me anyway. Um, you, you're going to embrace all the love that he has for you, but you're going to struggle to have him king over your life. Or if you see him only as king, 
only as ruler and not as a savior, you're gonna struggle to see him love you. You're gonna struggle to receive him as a loving God who heals you, who saves you from your sin and uh, who, who cares for you deeply. So we need to see him as both aspects. You see, we serve an all-powerful and an all-loving God. They may not always seem to be possible in the world, but they can be. Be careful not to put God into two camps. We could be dangerous of this, dangerous, in danger of this. One camp may feel that he is a strong God who can do anything, but he isn't very loving, and so don't expect him to come through for you. That's kind of like a bad God. He's strong, but he's not that loving. You know, we don't really want a God who is like that. Or you can put him on the other hand and he's a loving God who died on the cross for you, but he's too weak to bring about his purposes in the world in spite of bad choices and lack of faith. That's a weak God. He may be a loving God, but he's just weak. He can't really work in the world to do everything, but actually he's both. He is all powerful and he is all loving. And those two collide. It's what I call a place of beautiful discomfort. It's not always easy to understand both sides, but it's beautiful and it's wonderful. It's the way to live. Last few verses. I think we've got three minutes. Well done. 11, thank you. Killian, what a great job hiding behind there. As I say before, if anyone wants to serve and you don't want anyone to see you, a great place is on the media. Unless you make a mistake, which you didn't make today, so well done, Killian. Then everyone notices. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. We serve a supernatural God. Maybe some of you today is like, oh great, I can tick the box, academia, I can know Bible verses. No, he's supernatural. And we get to live supernatural lives as a result. He strengthens us with all power. We've been talking about the all-powerful God. That is all power in our lives. This is what's so interesting. So that you know, we can do mighty exploits and see the world changed and see people healed and saved, see heaven on earth. Yes, that's what I want and I go hard after. But look at what Paul says, his primary purpose for power and the primary purpose he strengthens us. Look at what Paul says, for all endurance and patience with joy. I sat there when I read this and I was like, but Paul, it could have been a lot more exciting in that. You could have just said there, he's gonna strengthen you all might, so you're just gonna see everyone healed that you touched and you're gonna see, and we believe that and we're seeing that happen amongst us. We go hard after the supernatural amongst us and prophetic words. But he says, why, why do you need to be strengthened with power? For endurance and patience with joy. And I sit and go like, wait a minute, Paul. Um, I didn't know that's why I needed God's power primarily. I can think of many other reasons why I need God's power in my life. I thought it was for gifts and for supernatural abilities. It is for that. We're gonna do trainings on that. We're gonna do alpha course. We're gonna look at what it means to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe it's for today and we are excited for it. You're gonna see it more and more part of our services. But why does he say we need it to deal with difficult times? It's because life on earth is not easy. And as a Christ follower, there's a spiritual battle that we also join. And we need his help to get through the hard times. Remember, he's writing from prison, just so we remember. But also we need to learn to be patient when life doesn't play out, when people don't live the way that we expect, but not just to endure, to have joy. Because you know what the impact that is in the world? A lot of the time far greater than an outworking demonstration of power. Both work hand in hand. But when you're going through something difficult, when you're going through something hard and people see this bubbling up of supernatural joy and they just go, where's that coming from? You should never have a life like that. Why are you so joyful in spite of your difficulties? That makes people ask why. 
It truly makes people ask why. That's the power that we need. Because if we are people who are pendulums, and when things are going well, we're excited for Jesus. And when things are going badly, we're not excited for Jesus. And when things are going well, we are so ready to serve and get excited, church. When they're going badly, we don't want anything to do with God. What that shows society is they sit and go, but that's just like self-help. I mean, that's not supernatural. That's just like any self-help book teaches that. You know, take advantage of the wave and ride the wave. And when things are going badly, change to another self-help guru. But it's different when it's supernatural because it affects everything, the good and the bad and all of our lives. So we want to shine brightly in this world. We want to enter into the place of eternal impact where we inherit the beautiful blessings that are, are there for us for all eternity. We give thanks to God. That happens when we're filled with his power. Last bit, we'll stand and pray. This is what we celebrate this morning. In fact, I think we're even gonna sing as we close. Maybe Corin come up and we'll sing what a beautiful name. Maybe that final verse about God's victory. This is what it says, and anyone else can come from the band if they want. This is what it says, last one. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, this is what the Christian life looks like and is all about. We, have ex we experience freedom from an eternal destiny without Jesus. You and I, that's the greatest gift we can ever have. If we receive what he's done for us on the cross, if you receive what he's done for you on the cross today, you're immediately transferred from the kingdom of darkness on a one track to hell to the kingdom of life where you have his indwelling power now on earth. You see him heal, you see him work, but for all eternity, you experience him. It's both now and ever present, but it's also not completely here. It's the beautiful discomfort. God's kingdom is here. We pray, God, your kingdom come. It'll never come fully this side of eternity. But when we die, it's there fully. So we grapple. It's, it's uncomfortable. We see him break through in some situations. He doesn't in others. Do we stop praying for breakthrough? No. We go hard after seeing his breakthrough, but we know one day we'll see it forever. It's why the Apostle Paul earlier said, now we see in part, in part soon we'll see face to face. As I said, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's the most beautiful work that God's ever done. So shall we stand together? And uh, as we get ready to sing, I'm gonna pray, and we're just gonna sing this, maybe the bridge and the chorus as we close. But there's different areas and places we'll be in. So you can fix your eyes on God. You don't have to close your eyes if you don't want to. But before we sing, this is what I wanna pray and then we're gonna, we're gonna outwork it as we sing. Oh, what a beautiful name. Maybe some of you in the camp of you don't know God at all and you're exploring faith. Maybe you wanna keep exploring or else. Right now, Jesus says to you, you have an opportunity to move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light in one moment by saying, Jesus, I recognize what you did on the cross. You died on the cross for my sins and my mess and I want you in my heart now. Please forgive me and I wanna live with you now and for all eternity. And if that's you today, I'd love you to do something bold. People are closing their eyes, people aren't looking around and I'd love you to raise your hand and say, that's me. My heart's racing. I know I've never given my life to Jesus, but I know listening to his word today that I need him. I need his love and I need his forgiveness and I need his life transformation. I need his purpose and his hope for all eternity. If that's you, I'd love you to raise your hand. I'd love you to raise your hand and pop it up and say, that's me. No one's looking around. Um, it's just a, a courageous, bold move to say, I need you, Jesus, and would you change my life from now for all eternity? 
that's you, I'd love you to raise your hand. Love you to raise your hand. Lord Jesus, uh, yeah, you can you can pop your hands down. That's great. Uh, Lord Jesus, if you if you've raised your hand and maybe it's the first time you've ever raised your hand, maybe you're saying actually I'm I'm just not exactly sure. I want to be sure. Lord Jesus, pray right now for those people. You can in this moment say, God, please forgive me. Would you come in and would you change me and would you make me new? He'll do it in an instant. He'll make you a son and a daughter for now and for all eternity. There's others of us here, and we're going to sing about this God, who we struggle because we live in two different camps. We live in him being an angry God who's really strong, or we live in one of him being a loving God, but he's not really that strong. We, li- we don't live in this place of beautiful discomfort. There's, there's Bible passages we don't understand, and we stay away from. There's situations and circumstances we don't want to talk about because we're just not exactly sure. Father, I pray that we would be a people, that we would be a church, just as Paul was desperate for the Colossian church to know, would be a church that stands strong in the knowledge of your will, God. We rest in the fact that you are a great king. You are a powerful king. You're in control of the affairs of this world. You have been in control from eternity past to eternity in the future. And you're a good God. And as a result, we know that your plans will always be ultimately good. And then also for us to sit in this place of going, but we've got a role to play. We've got a role to play on the earth. We can't just sit back, but we seek out God's kingdom. We, we, we pray for people. We pray for the sick. We pray for those to be restored. We wanna see people set free from darkness. And so we have a role to play. And Father, I pray that we would live those out together, those two different aspects of you together. And I know that makes us strong in times of difficulty. It makes us passionate and compassionate when people are hurting. It makes us expectant for the supernatural. And it makes us a church on the move, ready to see your kingdom come. So as we sing, Lord Jesus, please keep doing your work in our hearts. Your powerful name we pray. Amen.